0: hey good morning how are you today Eh, okay it's a new year you're not so sure about it the last few haven't been so great (laughs) i know it's been rough uh for those of you who don't know my name is jason coker i'm the co-minister here at the oceanside sanctuary and this is when we have a time of uh, teaching and story and so today I want to share with you the story of Epiphany. For those of you who don't know, this is Epiphany Sunday. And if, like me, you weren't raised in a traditional sort of liturgical uh, expression of Christianity, you may not know that there are all of these traditions and feast days around the Christian calendar. And one of those is Epiphany which is the celebration of the three magi who visited the Christ child. And so today we're gonna read that story. It's from Matthew chapter two. I wanna share with you just some of the things that I'm noticing in this. And then of course, invite you to perhaps reflect on what you're noticing in this passage as well. Matthew chapter two, verses one through 12 is our text for today. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, we will of course, put the passage up on the screen. But before we do, let's just take a moment and uh, come before God. Thank you, God, today for this opportunity for us to gather, for the space that you have blessed us with, for the friendships and the family who are represented in this space, uh, for the people who bring their gifts here every Sunday and reflect on what it means to have faith, to express love. God, we just admit that there is so much going on in our lives that it's easy to forget why a gathering like this matters. There's so much calling out for our attention So we ask that as we read this passage that you would speak good news to us in a fresh way, that we would have hope, that we would be able to grab a hold of faith in some way, shape, or form. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Many of you know, of course, that uh, Janelle and I have had uh, an alien visitor in our family, very small creature, about yay tall, about, I don't know, 11 pounds now, and sort of looks funny. Is practically bald, has very little hair on his head, and is capable of doing almost nothing. This is, of course, Otis Robert Coker Carton, our first grandchild. And for those of you who are here every week, I apologize. You will have to suffer through stories of Otis on a weekly basis for a long time to come. I'm still wrestling with the fact that I'm a grandfather. Uh, if I shaved, I could legitimately pass for a middle schooler. Uh, so I am having a hard time like, uh, uh, living into that identity as a grandfather. But what's amazing about Otis is that our daughter Savannah and her husband Griffin and Otis will come to the house for about four to five days at a time uh, because Otis is a full-time job for like four people. He's not capable of doing almost anything, right? Like he, he can't control uh, when he eats, he can't speak, he can't control really even when he sleeps, he can't control when he poops or pees, and oftentimes does those things at the worst possible time. Uh, There are only two skills that Otis has. The first is that he cries. And with that one skill, crying, he controls every adult in the house. Uh, It's amazing, actually. The other day, I had the opportunity to get up uh, very early. I'm usually up around six uh, o'clock and was able to take Otis from Griffin and had this amazing opportunity to spend about two hours with Otis standing in front of, we have a big window uh, on one side of our house. And we have a little bit of a view. We live up kind of on a hill. And so Otis was enthralled by the view. And so I was standing there holding him, like facing forward. And I was like, you know, sort of rocking him, like doing anything I could to keep him from crying. And if I sort of faded away from the window, he would and then I would immediately go back to the window. And this happened about six times before I realized that I was just like a puppet on a string for Otis, that he had totally mastered how to control his grandfather at 10 weeks old. The other skill that Otis has that he only recently acquired that is even more powerful than the cry is he can now smile. And so now there's a carrot and a stick. And with the carrot and the stick, Otis has mastered operant conditioning and uh, is utterly in charge of all of us. What's amazing to me about Otis, of course, is that he is literally the most vulnerable creature in our house at any given time. And yet here we all are attending to him at every possible moment four adults and uh, you know if if his aunts are there right our other two daughters then it's six adults in the house attending to him at all times running around doing whatever they can to make sure that Otis is taken care of to me this is a picture of extreme vulnerability on the one hand and love on the other i think it really is an act of love to very carefully very closely very attentively minister to the needs of somebody who is vulnerable. And in that sense, this little picture is a a picture of what it means to experience love. This is what Jen was talking about just a moment ago. It can be hard to hold on to what faith is, but love is a little bit easier to understand because we all know what it means to be vulnerable. Matthew chapter 2 is a picture of vulnerability. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this, and I'm just going to go ahead and read through this story. It's a familiar story, and then share a few things with you that I'm noticing. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 says, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And here's the prophecy from Micah chapter five, verse two, and you Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, Then Herod secretly called for the wise men, and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go! and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may go also and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. And on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. And then, opening their treasure chests, they'd offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is, I think, just one of the most amazing stories in the Gospels for a couple of reasons. The first is, we tend to think of uh, the story of, like, the classic picture of, like, the the baby Jesus in the manger, you know, like the the nativity or the creche that we sometimes put in our homes to commemorate this moment. And, of course, there is the cliche that there's the baby Jesus in a manger. And we used to actually have a creche up here on the stage with the baby Jesus. And there's a whole story behind that. I'll tell you why we don't do that anymore. Somebody uh, tried to steal the baby Jesus one Sunday morning. Great story. Anyway, that doesn't fit with my sermon today, so you don't get to hear that story today. But one thing we know is that Jesus was likely uh, two or three years old by the time the Magi or the wise men came to visit. So really, this is the visit that comes a few years after Jesus' birth. And what we have are foreign astrologers from a, a different religion, essentially uh, Zoroastrian, uh, Zoroastrians, right? Like they're they're worshiping from the east, from an entirely different culture, from a foreign group of people. They come and they hear or they they discern about this this coming Messiah, this King of the Jews, through their own astrology. So we have this bizarre story of sort of foreigners from a foreign land who are worshiping in a foreign religion who seem to understand better than God's own people what's going on. And so they show up, of course, and we have several images of vulnerability in this passage that I think are worth noticing. The first is, of course, the wise men themselves. To be strangers entering into a foreign land is to be vulnerable. Nobody should know that better than a bunch of people who live near the busiest border in the United States of America. To be a foreigner, to be a stranger, is to be a threat. And so you're often treated with suspicion or even violence. And so the first picture of vulnerability we see in this passage is that we have these three foreigners entering into a foreign country, crossing a border, and they are quite literally vulnerable in their travels. The second vulnerability, of course, we see is this image of a child and that child's mother. So this coming Messiah, this coming king, this coming ruler in the story of Christmas is a child, a baby, somebody who doesn't even have the ability to take care of himself, somebody who is utterly dependent on others for his survival day to day. And then the third vulnerability that we see in this passage comes from this amazing prophecy that we see in verse 5 says, then they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, so remember this is King Herod, he calls upon the chief scribes and the priests, and he says, what is this story of a Messiah who's coming? Where is this Messiah supposed to come from? And they conjure up Micah chapter 5 verse 2, which says this, and you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. This is, of course, from the Old Testament prophet, prophet Micah, who is sort of a cliche, sort of, you know, wild-eyed, you know, prophet who sort of comes out of the wilderness and indicts Jerusalem for not having its act together. So this sort of obscure passage that comes out of Micah chapter 5, verse 2, is really the story of a prophet who is upset with Jerusalem for not living up to its calling as the people of God. That's why in Micah 6-8 we get this sort of famous passage where the prophet Micah says, God has told you what God wants to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. The whole message of Micah and all those Old Testament prophets is to come to Jerusalem and say, you're supposed to be a city on a hill, a light in the darkness, and yet you are drunk with power and failing to do what God has called you to do. So for this reason, the ruler of my people won't come from Jerusalem, The ruler of my people won't come from the center of power in Israel. The ruler of my people will come from an obscure village called Bethlehem on the outskirts of nowhere. This is a picture of vulnerability, too. What's happening in this passage is that God is being represented as vulnerable. God is being represented as coming in the form of weakness. And that form of weakness is contrasted by expressions of power, which we also see in this passage. The first, of course, is King Herod himself. Right at the beginning in chapter 2, it says, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who's been born, King of the Jews? For we observed his star, and it's rising, and we have come to pay him homage. So these foreigners have shown up, and they are asking the king, where is the king? And he's like, I'm the king. No, we came to pay homage to this other person. And when King Herod heard this, he was frightened. King Herod is the image of power in this passage. And yet, he's frightened because foreigners have come and are looking for a different king. They're looking for somebody else who's in charge. And so we see another expression of power when King Herod calls together all of his chief priests and scribes and says, what in the world is going on here? And the passage actually tells us that Herod was afraid. One of the things we learn from this chapter is the irony That the nature of power is fear. That power is always afraid of losing power. This is why the Micah chapter 5 prophecy matters. Because that prophecy comes out of the context of Jerusalem being so concerned with pulling together its own power that it has forgot what it was given power for in the first place. And so in this story, we see this awful narrative of a king, King Herod, who is so afraid of losing his power that he's willing to commit atrocities in order to hold on to it. If we continue to read in Matthew chapter 2, we see that King Herod massacres all of the infants in this region in order to eliminate this rival child that has been prophesied about. There are no atrocities that power will not commit in order to hold on to power. And so in this story, we have a tension between vulnerability and weakness on the one hand that is represented by God and God's own self and God's own manifestation in the Christ child. And on the other hand, power. The way that we hold and wield and use power in the world, the way that power is driven by fear and how that fear justifies all kinds of terrible acts. This is the story of the wise men. The question is, where is God in this story? What does God represent? Where is the good news in this message? As I was thinking about this story in The Wise Men this week, I was reminded of uh, my old friend Josh. Josh was an unhoused person who was a regular attendee here uh, at the Oceanside Sanctuary for many years. And Josh was uh, one of my favorite people. He often sat right there where Phil is and often sat right next to Phil. And of all of the people that I have known in my life who lived on the street, Josh was the one and only atheist that I knew who lived on the street. I've been a part of lots of ministries and lots of churches in my life, and one of the things that's always driven me crazy is that churches will often show up in parks and feed hungry and homeless people as long as they sit long enough to listen to a message. I've always thought that was a bit ridiculous because I used to say, I've never met a person who lives on the street who doesn't believe in God. They have way more faith than I do. But Josh came along and proved to be the exception. And would often tell me, anytime I was willing to listen, all the reasons why he didn't believe in God. And they were good, smart reasons. And he would sit right there next to Phil, ironically, and listen to my sermons as an atheist. And after church, he would come up to me and he would tell me about four or five things that I got wrong in my message. (laughs) He always had some good points. And he'd always tell me one or two things I said that he thought were good. Every single time. And The interesting thing about Josh is that he's one of the smartest folks I ever met, one of the most talented folks I ever met, and one of the most uh, afflicted and disturbed folks I've ever met. But every time I encountered Josh, whether it was a good experience or a frustrating experience, and it was often frustrating, I always felt like I was in the presence of the grace of God. Josh had a kind of court jester energy about him. And Josh was almost always with another unhoused person who uh, often came to our Tuesday night dinners at the time, and that was Mike. And if Josh had court jester energy, Mike had like king energy, like King Herod energy. Mike was always in charge. Mike would use whatever threats or intimidation or expressions of uh, violence he could in order to maintain that power. And he and Josh had that kind of weird, toxic, dysfunctional relationship where one of them was sort of like the king and the other one was sort of the court jester and they're always going back and forth a little bit and Mike was always ultimately beating Josh down. Um, It was a few years ago that um, Mike actually ended up killing Josh in one of their arguments. And I think the thing that always sticks with me about Mike and Josh is how, between the two of them, whenever I was around Josh, I always felt like I was in the presence of grace. And it was so frustrating to feel like violence won. And I think that often... Is the case in our world. The people like me stand up here on Sundays like today and try to convince you that what's most important in life is love and goodness and grace. And I believe that. But we walk out of this place and Monday through Saturday we are faced with the harsh reality that oftentimes it's fear and hate and violence that wins. Part of the reason I keep coming back here is because I need to believe that what this story teaches is true. That when we read this story, that God is not represented by King Herod. That God is represented by the magi. That God's love and God's goodness and God's presence are expressed, however insane it sounds, however unlikely it might be, that God's love and goodness and grace and kindness are expressed in vulnerability and weakness and the willingness to give of ourselves even in the face of fear and violence. That is what it means to have faith. And I think the reason it's so hard to grab a hold of that is because when we walk out of the doors here, we will be faced with a world and with a life and with a community and with a political system that uses fear and violence to get its way. I think the reason that faith is so hard to grab a hold of is because it takes courage. It's no sure thing. There is no guarantee that God wins in this story. We are called upon to walk out that love in faith And we do that, I think, because every day when we do it, every time we experience the goodness and the grace and the love that comes in those moments of transcendence, we experience something that can't be explained. It's something completely other than us. And this, I think, is where we find God in this passage. God is represented by the Magi, by the foreigners who enter into this story from outside of Israel. God is represented by the star that appears in the sky that nobody was expecting. God is represented by this prophecy from Micah that dares to say that God and God's rule and God's kingdom and God's reign might come from an obscure village that has no power, no political influence, and no meaningful heritage. The point of this story, of course, I think, is that God is God and we are not God is God, and we are not. No matter how much we want to be in control, no matter how much we want to secure our success, God will come along and insert God's self into our story in ways that we cannot predict, that we cannot control, and oftentimes we would just rather God didn't do. We like to create boundaries and rules and doctrines that hold God within a certain space and God refuses to comply. God can come in any form that God chooses. God can come in any form that God chooses. God can come as the unexpected star in a sky or as the astrologers of a foreign religion. God can come as the insignificant village on the outskirts of civilization or as the wild-eyed prophet who emerges from the wilderness. God can come as a teenage pregnant mother under suspicious circumstances or as the illegitimate baby born to political refugees. God can come as Gentiles who have the wrong heritage, eat the wrong foods, and celebrate the wrong holidays or as any of the people that we tend to push to the margins of power. God can and does and will come as strangers, as foreigners, as poor people, as homeless people, as people of color, as women, as queer people. God has, does, and will come in all of those forms, whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not. And when we experience God in that way, when we see God in the eyes of a helpless baby, or when we see God in the form of a homeless atheist, or in the form of women who finally are afforded the opportunity to hold the power that they have, or queer people who are finally allowed to love who they love, When we experience God in those ways, it gives us courage to believe that it might just be true. That's why we come here. That's why we tell these stories. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again for today, for this opportunity to gather and in spite of the realities of the world that we live in, in spite of the difficulties, the coercive expressions of power that we are faced with, in spite of our fears and our doubts and our insecurities. We also confess that we experience love and grace and goodness in ways that surprise us. And so, God, we pray that you would teach us to welcome you in our lives in whatever form it comes, that we would learn to welcome strangers and aliens and people who dress and speak and eat and love differently than we do, who worship differently than we do, who think and believe and vote differently than we do. We pray that you would teach us to welcome you as the foreigner, as the stranger, as the magi who enters into our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Joey and Jason and thank you so much for being here today everyone it's good to be together isn't it I have a really a feeling of seriousness today I don't know if it's permeating the whole congregation but maybe it's what we need today so anyway we want to let you know about calendar events coming up the first is a night of prayer for Christian unity And locally, eight Christian churches from Carlsbad, Encinitas, Vista, and Oceanside are gathering for a night of worship and prayer, and Jason will be one of the ministers leading the event. The theme of the event is doing good and seeking justice together. And if this speaks to you, please plan to attend. And um, that theme is one of the values that our congregation holds, so I really hope to see a lot of you there. Um, that night of prayer for Christian unity and yeah, night of prayer for Christian unity will be held at St. Patrick's Catholic Church in Carlsbad on Thursday, January 19th, from 6:30 to 7:30. Just two days after that event, Jason will be teaching our Roots class. This will be a hybrid in-person and Zoom meeting for inquiring minds. Roots covers the history of our church, the core values of our church, and how to become a member of our church. Pretty sure that's what it covers. Um, It's for folks newer to the sanctuary and for people who've been around but would like a refresher course. If this class is drawing you, mark your calendar for Saturday, January 21st from 9 a.m. to 12 a.m. That same day, Alex Kipp is heading up a competing event. <laughs> Illumin, Day of Embodiment, and Sound Bath Men's Retreat. Sorry, women. We're not invited. This is a one-day men's event focusing on awareness of our senses, their senses, through their bodies. Uh, let's see, consciousness of their bodies, others, and God. This event will be held at the United Methodist Church in San Diego from 10 a.m. to 3:30 a.m. If this catches your interest and you'd like to know about it, talk to Alex, he'll tell you all about it. For all these events and more, you can fill out a a Connect card, which I think is in the pews. Um, Grab a program in the pew, there it is, rsvp at oceansanctuary.org forward slash calendar, or scan the QR code throughout the church. Lastly, we want you to know how to support our mission Oceanside Sanctuary is a 501c3 nonprofit and we rely on the gifts and donations of people just like you. If you'd like to support our mission, consider giving a gift today at our website, oceansanctuary.org forward slash give. Scan the QR code. Or if you prefer to give cash or check today, that's what I usually do. Um, there's a box. No, it says in the back. Where's where that there's a box over there? I know. Where? Oh, right there, the red box in the back um so for this week here's a benediction don't forget otis um think of his vulnerability and our vulnerability and that that's the way god will really be reflected and let's watch and see how god is reflected in vulnerability this week so may the peace of god be with you also with you Have a great week, everyone. God bless.